Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. The Ten Commandments. They seem pretty straightforward. Do this, don't do that. End of story. Well, not exactly. Dr. Jennings feels that the Ten Commandments have much to reveal about God's true character of love if viewed from the proper perspective. That's what we want to do today. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries, and the good doctor joins us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, with your permission, I'd like to read each commandment one by one, and you unpack them in the light of God's design laws and loving character. I'll use the New International Version of the Bible, if that's okay with you. Sure. Good. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 17. Okay, here we go. Dr. Jennings, commandment number one. What's this say about God? You shall have no other gods before me. What's going on there? In order to understand the Ten Commandments, we have to first understand the whole concept of law. When you think about God's law, do you actually understand him as creator and the one who builds reality, space, time, energy, matter, life, the laws of health, the moral laws, how life operates? Or do you see him as a Roman dictator who's making up rules? Mm -hmm. And if you see him as a Roman dictator who's making up rules, then the Ten Commandments become his rules that he's just put upon us and that we have to obey, and he polices and enforces. Sadly, this is how many people see the commandments. This is not the commandments. The Ten Commandments are a special distillation of God's eternal law of love upon which life is built, codified or written down for the need of a fallen and sinful humanity. Prior to humanity's fall, the Ten Commandments, the law of God in the Ten Commandment form, did not exist. Angels in heaven did not need a law to honor their mother and father as sins passing down through the generations. This way of writing or expressing God's eternal law of love was written or expressed specifically for human need in a sinful state. Adam and Eve, in fact, didn't even have a law to honor their mother or father. They didn't have a mother. So it was, again, written for the rest of the fallen human species. And uh, yet it's an expression of God's law, and it has a purpose. And the question is, what was the purpose that it was given? Multiple purposes, Scripture tell us. One, it was given as a diagnostic tool. Think of it like an MRI for the soul. If somebody goes in an MRI scanner, this MRI scanner Scanner's purpose is to expose pathology, tumors, or disease. The Ten Commandments is a mirror we look into to expose where our character, our life, our hearts are not operating in harmony with God's eternal law of love. And the first four commandments are about our relationship with God, and the last six are our relationship with others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a distillation or a codification of how love operates and functions, specifically for our fallen need. And so we look in there and go, oh, I'm coming up short in my love. It diagnoses something is wrong. Mm -hmm. But an MRI scanner does not cure a problem. You go in, you get an image, you see a tumor in your lung. The MRI scanner does nothing to fix it. You don't try to work hard to appease or do something for the MRI scanner. We don't try to uh, appease the law in some way. We don't take a payment into the MRI scanner. We don't take a payment to the law. Additionally, the Ten Commandments are given as a hedge of protection. If we simply obey the rules and we don't commit adultery, we don't steal or we don't murder, we don't lie, we protect ourselves from damaging our own souls, corrupting our own characters, hardening our own hearts, and also real-life consequences here on this earth. So even though it doesn't heal us and it doesn't provide salvation, it is a hedge of protection that limits some of the damage we experience from sin in our life. And it's described in Scripture as the 
schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. It, it is like that MRI scanner that convicts us and then leads us to the great heavenly physician, Jesus, who has the solution to give us a new heart and right spirit, to write his law in our hearts and minds. So first we have to understand when you read those, these are descriptions specifically written for fallen human beings to alert us that something's wrong and describe in some way some aspect of God's design law upon which he has created a reality to operate upon. So the first one that you read, have no other gods before me, not only is it an expression of love, it's a description of the law of worship. In psychiatry and psychology, we call that modeling. In the Bible, it's by beholding we become changed. We actually become changed neurobiologically and characterologically based on what we admire, esteem, value, look up to, and worship. And thus in the Bible, the Bible describes people who worship false gods. They worshiped worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Or Paul in Romans 1 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped things created with their own hands and their minds became dark and depraved and futile. So what was happening in the first commandment is God is describing. We are the highest created beings on planet Earth, and if we worship anything other than him, we damage and degrade ourselves, and he wants us to develop to the highest levels of purity and development possible. So he says, have no other gods before me. It's the only way of health, the only way of happiness. Further, if you put the commandments in context, before, if you read in Exodus 20, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God said, I am the God who led you out of Egypt. This is a statement that says, If you follow me, then I will heal you. And when I heal you, so it's also a description of what we look like, and I restore my law in your heart, then you will have no other gods but me. Hmm. So it's, it's all of these things combined. I see that, and that just folds perfectly into the second commandment. Don't make any images of anything that's heaven above. I am a jealous God. I am showing love to thousands of people. Visiting the iniquities upon the third and fourth generations of them. Mm-hmm. What's described here is both the law of worship, by beholding we become changed, and the law of heredity, that God created us in his image, and he gave Adam and Eve an ability in Eden to be able to create beings in their image. They have freedom to choose how they live their life, as we all do, based on what we eat, based on what we worship, based on what we watch, based on the relationships we have, we are epigenetically altering our DNA expression. And not only do we pass along to our offspring the sequences of the DNA code, we pass along little molecules that sit above the DNA code telling the DNA how to express itself, which ones to turn on and which ones to turn off. That's called epigenetics. And those epigenetic markers pass down three and four generations. And when we engage in false worship or destructive practices, we alter our own DNA and we pass along problems, and this is well-documented science now, that go down three and four generations. So God is saying that if you disobey, if you worship false stuff, if you if you deviate from his designs, you'll damage yourself and you'll damage your children and you'll damage your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. But I'm a God of mercy who will provide a, a way out, a healing solution for all the generations that love me and trust me. Mm. How about that third commandment? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Is, is this saying his name just as an expletive? Is, is that what misuse the name of the Lord your God means? This is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a different law, and the Bible talks about this in Galatians 6, 8. The one who sows to the carnal nature from that nature will reap destruction. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What this means is, if you take the name of the Lord, the name is character, and say, I'm a Christian. I walk around and I profess to represent Christ, but then I live in harmony with Satan's kingdom and practicing Satan's methods, then I will not be found guiltless because I will be found sick 
sick of heart. Mm. I will be found in character to be like God's enemy because those are the methods I practice because I have taken his name in vain, saying I'm a Christian, but practicing the methods of God's enemy. And God will not lie and create a fraudulent outcome and claim that I am somehow righteous, even though I'm not righteous. He will, as the Bible says in Revelation, say those who are righteous will be righteous still, and those who are wicked will be wicked still. So claiming you're a Christian in some legal mechanistic way is not the same thing as experiencing Christ in the heart and then living out Christian principles and the way your character develops and how you treat others. All right. We're talking with Dr. Jennings today about the Ten Commandments. We've come to number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, Lord your God. I have a sneaking suspicion that there's a law, a design law attached to this, Dr. Jennings. There is the law of restoration. After finite beings expend energy, they must rest and recover in order to have more. Mm -hmm. Much of that is nightly physiological rest. There's also a spiritual rest, though, and there is a, uh, in this warfare of sin, we rest in Christ and what Christ has achieved for us. And the Sabbath was made as a gift for human beings. Jesus said it was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. This is not given to us as a rule to keep. It was given to us as a gift. And if you read more widely in Scripture, you'll discover this gift is given to us as a gift by God who makes us holy. It's a sign. And we are to remember. We remember all week long what the Sabbath symbolizes and what does the Sabbath symbolize or represent? God's methods. It was created at the end of creation week in a context of a war that Satan started in heaven against God's rulership. And how did God handle that war? Did God use power to force all beings to bow and Lucifer and his angels who wouldn't he executed on the spot? No, he did not. He handled the war by revealing truth in love, and then after six days of expending incredible power, creating a new planet, Earth, and a new species, humans, God said, I rest. The universe, I rest my case. And the Sabbath is the methods of God acted out. Days one through six, we learn God is powerful, but day seven reveals the character of the one who wields it. Truth presented in love, leaving beings free. So the Sabbath keepers are those who remember what the Sabbath symbolizes, the government it stands for, and participate in that government and live out those methods in in the way they live their lives, and thus they present truth and love and leave others free. They do not become like the Dark Ages church who will use imperial power to force other people to live by their moral standards. Even if the moral standard is right, they don't force, for instance, baptism into the name of Jesus. That's a righteous thing to do. But we would never pass laws to punish people who weren't baptized in the name of Jesus. That would be an unrighteous thing to do. Hmm. And so the true Sabbath keepers are those who present truth and love and leave people free. We have time now for one more. I think we'll take the other last five on our next program. But Dr. Jennings, this is an important one. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What is God trying to say here to us in love? Life is built to operate upon love, and when you're in harmony with it, you actually have better physical health, and when you break the principles of love, you have worse physical health. And numerous studies show that children who are raised in homes in which there is conflict, argument, hostility, abuse, exploitation, neglect, in other words, where love doesn't flow well, they have altered brain development in which they upregulate their fear circuitry. They have less capacity to calm themselves than they would otherwise have had they been raised in a loving and nurturing home. And their upregulated fear circuitry causes their body to have greater immune activation with inflammatory cascades. They have higher rates of mental health problems, higher rates of diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease. They die at a younger rate than people who have grown up in homes in which there was consistent godly love manifested to them by their parents. 
Wow. So you're saying that our relationship to our mom and dad actually can affect our longevity and our quality of life. Is that right? It's not just simply because of those historic events. Those historic events become cascades both physiologically and characterologically and psychologically. And so they become templates for how we relate to other people. People coming out of difficult childhood homes where there was not healthy love often struggle with relationship conflict after relationship conflict after relationship conflict throughout their whole life. So they don't often love well. Now, some will find Jesus Christ and become mature and loving, and that will be healing, and they will have a reduction in inflammatory cascades and improvement in their health if they apply those principles to their life, but the vast majority struggle with ongoing relational conflict, and the data is very clear. Loving relationships are healing physiologically, and we live longer on the earth. Constant conflict relationships are stressful to us and undermine our physical health, and we die younger. That is amazing because these first five commandments that you've just gone over here talks about worship, talks about sowing and reaping, talks about resting, and talks about having good relationships and good mental health. These are really health laws we're talking about here. Diagnostic tool, yes. Heads of protection, yes. Leads us to Christ, yes. But also gives us a higher quality of life. What a loving God we have, Dr. Jennings, wouldn't you say? Yes, and all of God's laws rightly understood are like this. There are never rules like humans make up that require judicial enforcement. Any construct or thoughts of judicial enforcement is an artifact, a false human law construct projected on the government of God. Well, we've got murder, adultery, stealing, and false testimony and coveting coming up on our next program. Let's find out what God had in mind when he said to not do those things, how they affect us and affect our health. Dr. Jennings, thank you so much for sharing sharing with us. Appreciate it today. Thank you, Charles. And listener, we have a website, comeandreason.com. It has a lot of resources available to you to increase your understanding of God and, as we're discovering, increase your health here on this earth. That's comeandreason.com. This program was sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.